turn with us one last time to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we will be reading four verses, verse 14 through 17. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It can be a melancholy time for a lot of people, though. It can bring up sad times. It can bring up sad memories, maybe, that you have of times gone by. My mom was reminding me this morning, and I had actually, when I looked on Facebook, normally every year on December the 18th, I post a little comment. Today would have been my brother's birthday. He would have been 50 today. I can't imagine... My younger brother, John, who was the life of the party being 50 years old, but he would have been. But now he's actually with the Lord where he will never grow old. Just like our other relatives who have gone before us, who have known the Lord Jesus Christ, who get to spend time with him. And yet many of us are old enough that maybe you've had grandparents or maybe your parents who have gone on before. And if they had known the Lord, this could be a very sad time at Christmas, remembering the fondness of the memories that you have had from years past. Yet what we see at Christmas time too often in the words of and actions of many people is that they are just not content with what they have. I mean, that's really what Christmas has come down to for many people. You go to the store and, of course, all of the sales that start on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and then it continues down through the weeks. And and then probably one of the worst times in retail, having worked in retail before uh, of the year, is normally the couple of days or the week right after Christmas when everybody wants to show up at the store to return the things that they didn't want. They're just not happy. They're not happy with what they have been giving. And in this passage that we have this morning, it's not just a matter of being content with what we have at Christmas. Uh, There are a lot of people who are not content with their spouse. They're not content with what they own. They're not content with the truth. They're not content with just staying ahead of the neighbor. A famous Christmas song reminds the listener, he knows when you've been bad or good, so be... Good for goodness sake. Here's the problem. If everybody could be good for goodness sake, the Lord Jesus Christ would never have had to come. That's why we have Christmas. Because Christmas is a poignant reminder that the heart of man is totally depraved. There is nothing in you and I that desires to seek after God. Romans chapter 3. There is no way that we can ever be good on our own and certainly not good enough to please God or to meet his standards of holiness. 
What are his what is his standard? Very simple. Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. It means to live in a way that pleases God in everything that we do. From the time we take our first breath until the time we take our last breath and we walk out into eternity, the question is, can we live that kind of holy life before God? The answer is no, we can't. If our innermost secrets thoughts were to be revealed on the screens behind me one by one, I believe that it would mortify us. I believe that we would quickly realize two things. Number one, that it would be best to disappear before it is our turn. And two, that pointing out the depravity of the hearts of others, really all it does is shine a spotlight on how, we, how bad we really are before God. So we come to the conclusion of this study on the Ten Commandments, remembering again that our purpose is to glorify God, glorify God in all that we do in life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink, we can fill in some more blanks here, whether we, whatever we do for Christmas, whatever we do for whatever day it is, do all to the glory of God. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here's the question. What if we had, what if we get up this next year? It could even happen this year. What what would happen in the next seven days if our economy just completely collapsed? And we find ourselves in similar situations to some of those that you have already heard about from some of our missionaries in places like in the Caribbean or in countries that are behind the Iron Curtain or the Bamboo Curtain. What would we do if we found ourselves in that situation and now we've got no more money or money that's worthless? Would God still be God? Absolutely. Would we still recognize the sovereign hand of God in everything, even if we have to struggle? Where's Brother Al? Brother Al mentioned, he mentioned it again today. He's actually mentioned it a couple of times now, uh, three three times now, I believe, in the lesson on Daniel uh, in in regards to what's going to happen in the end times. The Bible says that when those end times come, you will work for an entire day just to be able to feed one person. It will take an entire day's wages to be able to eat. Now, can you imagine what it'll be like for those with families? But if we do all that we do with the thought continually in our hearts and minds that we are here for the glory of God, I believe what it'll do is it will keep us from sin. I mentioned this at the beginning. John Bunyan wrote in the front of his Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I believe that 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 we would do well to have something like that, either on a plaque or on on something maybe in a frame that we hang on our wall in our house, just like the, the Israelites were commanded to do, put the verses of Scripture on the wall. One of the best things you can do is to be able to keep it in front of your eyes and the eyes of your children. Keep God first. You see, we've come a long ways, though, 
and now two some two thousand years later we celebrate Christmas and enough is not enough the food is not enough we have to have more the drinks are not enough we have to have more we have to have this and that and the other in order to be able to make life work and yet in the early New Testament church they had all things in common but there were many times that they would actually go to the Colosseum they would be fodder for the lions they would die on the crosses they would be used they would be impaled and used to light the garden parties for the Caesars they had nothing and yet at the end of the day they could close their eyes in death no matter how painful it was no matter whether they were struggling no matter whether they had food in their pantry and they could they would be able to say God makes it worth makes everything worthwhile because these things that we struggle with down here they're simply going to be but light afflictions as Paul says when we stand before God we close our eyes here and we go before him it won't matter how we die whether we die of starvation or whether we come under some kind of intense persecution like many other of our brothers and sisters in Christ have had to do and go through today These last four commands that we have before us in verses 14 through 17 could easily have a sermon devoted to each one of them. In fact, there have been multiple books that have been written on each one of these subjects. I've been speaking with Brother Gabriel and Lord willing, we're going to be presenting some things and Brother Diego and I have been talking to Brother Sam and we're going to be presenting some things in the new year that I believe are going to encourage you and are, are going to be an opportunity to be able to have a deeper discipleship level with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just for the men, but for the ladies, for the children as well, for grandchildren. One of the purposes though of our study I believe that we can sum up all of these four that we have before us this morning is that Christ gave this second command and he said love your neighbor as yourself the implication here the way that it is phrased is love your neighbor as you already love yourself you see there is no third command to love yourself like the world wants to promote that is already assumed. We do a very good job of that. But in our world today, we don't like putting, thinking of others first. Our world and our society wants us to do whatever it takes to put ourselves first. And this is played out often in the commands that we have before us. Look firstly at verse 14, the seventh command. You shall not commit adultery. From the very beginning, God set a standard for marriage, and yet many would seek to redefine those for the purposes of fulfilling the lust of the flesh. In Genesis chapter 2, God was the one that made man and woman, and he set the boundaries for their union. He ensured the picture of marriage was to be a type of the church that we would see coming later in the New Testament, and he made these two to live together and to be together in such a way that they would show forth the praises of God to a lost world. Husbands and wives, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, both of you are believers, you have one purpose and that is to show forth what God has done for you and through you. 
the, the days of people who have been married for 40, 50, 60 years, the, those days, there are not too many people left in those categories anymore. You see, because a lot of people just give up, they quit. Now I recognize, and I want to say this at the begin. I want to say this before we get any further. I understand what the Bible says in regards to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I know that some of you fit within that camp. You you have had to go through that. You have been divorced or you have been remarried. But I believe that it's important for us to understand that God forgives our sin when we come before him and we seek and we confess our sins. He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, including in that area. So I don't want anybody who has gone through that to, to beat themselves up or continue beating themselves up or living in the guilt of whatever has gone before. You are where you are at because this is where God has placed you in your life. So honor him, glorify him in everything that you are doing. If you have a spouse that is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to pray for them that God will, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if the believer chooses to live and remain with the unbeliever, then God will bring holiness into that situation. We pray for that person's salvation. Sadly, the world has taken the beautiful institution of marriage and they have denigrated it to the point where it is completely unrecognizable as a God-honoring and Christ-exalting institution. Anybody see what happened at the White House this last week? Where they painted the entire front of the White House in the, in the colors of a rainbow? while signing the marriage act that is one day going to change what we can even say from the pulpit without fear of persecution. You see, in the beginning, the, those who held to that persuasion in the LGBTQ community, they didn't want marriage. And the truth is that they don't want marriage now. What they want is equal rights and for everybody to have to agree with them in whatever their persuasion is and whatever debauchery they choose to live within their, within their life. And if you don't agree with that, you're the bigot. Sadly, the rates of marriage, divorce, and remarriage are just as common in the church as they are in the world. After all, the world would tell us the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And if it is not, then we will simply be encouraged to jump another fence and another and another until we quench our insatiable thirst for finding the perfect companion. You know, the problem is there is no perfect companion. There is no perfect marriage. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect person. And the only way that you can truly learn to love somebody and to be able to care for them is because of Jesus Christ who gives you an agape love for that other individual who is within your life. And you learn to love them self-sacrificially, being willing to give up everything for them. 
That's biblical marriage. Down through time, some have tried to quench their lust by adding to God's standards of one man and one woman. Polygamy is a staple in many third world societies now. It's even found entrance into main society through religion. If you can't take an additional wife by legal means, then you can do so by claiming that your lusts are God-given and that your marriages are of eternal value and then we'll just change the rules. The LDS Church comes to mind when we speak of these plurality of marriages, as do Muslims. The definition of marriage itself is under attack, but God's word never changes. The world thinks that it can change the standard, and it doesn't matter whether every country in the world legalizes these debauched abominations as God sees it, they'll still be wrong. Now, how does that affect us as a church? I believe that we are still to love people who find themselves trapped in whatever sin it is that they may be trapped in. But it is not loving not to tell them the truth. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. That means that we have the responsibility to tell people, if you don't seek God, if you don't seek after God and cry to him for mercy and repent and confess your sin, you will stand in judgment before God one day. The world believes that changing the standard will enable them to justify themselves before God. It will enable each person to live by their own standards of morality for the sake of some of those who are young this morning. I'm not going to share any further details in regards to places like Rome or empires like Rome, but go and read Rome and see what it was like. We haven't gotten to the bottom of where we could be. But God's law hasn't changed. Rome fell, and it didn't fall from without, it fell from within. Rome destroyed itself because it went from a moral society to an immoral society and then it went further to an amoral society where there were no morals left. That's where we're at in our country. We have come to a point where right is wrong and wrong is right. Again, one of the biggest proponents when we are speaking of marriage, one of the biggest proponents of changing God's standard is the LGBTQ movement. In many countries, it is legal now, and yet it is of great interest that the countries which endorse this are without exception, almost without exception, in the most developed nations, like America. Do you know that in the vast majority of third world countries today, these, apparent, these abhorrent and aberrant Morals are completely unacceptable because they understand. They know there's still, a, there's still a sense of morality that is found there. 
And yet even those who claim to know the name of Christ have now been brought into the belief, listen to this carefully, that what a person does in the privacy of their own home is acceptable and we are not to judge. My friends, what we do in the privacy of our home is still important to God. I can remember hearing at times, and, and we have talked about this down through the years that my wife and I have been married. We've been 33 years on December the 30th this year. I'm thankful for that. It hasn't been easy. It's not easy for her. It's not easy for me. But I am thankful that we have come to this point. And, and, and as we look at the world and we realize that the morality that is there would if the evil one can break us up and break our home up, he has won another little victory. What we do in the privacy of our home is important. And you see, that's what happened when pastors years ago would say, well, we won't accept it on the streets, but we'll accept it as long as you do it in the privacy of your home and you don't bring it out. And then it began to creep out of the houses into the streets and then in, from the streets it crept into our government offices and now anything goes. I mean, if you're in the military today, you can go down and, 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 and tell your first shirt, well, I, I was born a woman, but I want to be a man and the Air Force will pay for it. We have people who are in the LGBTQ agenda or in that movement and they actually serve in places of leadership, put their hand on the Bible and promise to uphold the Constitution and then turn around and break that Constitution and break the morals that God has set. And there's no shame in our country anymore. Some will say, well, we can love the sinner and we just overlook the sin. They may claim that passages like Romans chapter 1 don't mean what they really mean or don't... We can just maybe get rid of that part. We'll keep that part quiet. Even within our circles, Baptist circles and Baptist churches, over the last several years, there have been many, even at the top, even presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention who have said, quote, the Bible only whispers about these sexual sins. The reality is that if the world can change the mind of the average person about what marriage actually is, and I believe that they will have accomplished their goal, and that is to accept any kind of sexual perversion. I know we don't have a lot of parents this morning here who are here who have children still at home, but even places like Walt Disney, the most recent movie, a cartoon that's put out that even a lot of daycares are using, and they're going to put it, and they're going to allow their kids to see it is a movie and the entire plot centers on a 16-year-old boy who has a relationship with another boy. And that's considered acceptable. What have we come to? 
I believe the problem is that we need to learn again what it means to keep covenant with God. Jesus said that if a person looks at another with lust in their hearts, it is the same as if they had committed adultery. This doesn't give an excuse, though, for a Christian to commit such an act. Again, if this is where you are at or where you have been, remember that God is faithful and he will forgive those who break covenant with him. We are also to keep covenant with our spouse if we are married. How do we do this? The same way we keep covenant with God. By guarding our heart and guarding our eyes. That's important. You see, if, if we are, if we have an, a farm animal and we're out on the uh, farm and we're making, we're plowing, what do you put on the ox or on the horse to be able to keep them in the right track? Blinders. If you stack up every part of your life with this right here, that'll be the only blinders that you will ever need to be able to make right decisions. The word of God will keep you guarding your heart. He will keep you guarding your eyes. He will keep you to guard your lips. He will keep you to allow anything from creeping into your heart that will take your heart away from him. And I can tell you that there is all kinds of stuff, whether it's the internet, whether it's TV, whether it's movies, whatever it may be, the evil one will do what he can to take your eyes off of God. Secondly, the eighth command, thou shalt not steal. If I were to take a survey this morning and ask you, how many of you, before we read this, how many of you believe that thou shalt not lie is one of the Ten Commandments? You know, there's some people who would raise their hand because they think that lying is one of the Ten Commandments. It actually is not. Now, the principles that we have are found there, but let's go back to stealing for just a moment because we are going to talk about bearing false witness. But this eighth command simply means that you do not take whatever does not belong to you. Well, you would think that would be pretty simple. But do you know that there are a lot of states here in America now where you can walk in and as long as you can take less than $1,000 worth of merchandise, you can walk back out and not go to jail for it. Do you know what the percentages are, what the amount of money is that is spent on loss prevention in America today? Anybody have any idea? Anybody want to take a guess? Like a year or in a year. year. In loss prevention. A billion? You're not even close. Not even close. It's a, over a hundred billion dollars will be spent in loss prevention in America this year just to keep people from taking stuff that doesn't belong to them. The world has gone crazy. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But you know what verse 11 continues on and says? Such were some of you but you've been washed, 
You've been redeemed. You've been justified. You've been, you've been set apart. Don't live the way the world does. You say, well, how does this apply to me? Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So how does this apply to us? I've shared this with my boys when they were growing up. I've shared this with my girls, especially Abigail. She's just starting out. If you're on the clock, you're working for your company. Give them an honest day's work. I mean, you would think that that would be, uh, Brother Tim and I have talked about that repeatedly, where, where, where there are people who came and worked for him at the last place that he was working, and if they didn't want to show up, they just didn't have to show up, and nobody did anything. They wouldn't get written up, they wouldn't get fired. Work and honest work. Thirdly, the ninth command. Don't bear false witness. Now again, we could park on this one for quite a while, but I just want to sum up a few thoughts here. This command is a warning against those who would speak lies. A person who uses lies to advance themselves is spoken of as an abomination by Solomon in Proverbs 6.19. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Even Paul talks about this in the New Testament within the local church. If a person is using lies or speaking lies in order to be able to promote their own agenda, they are living an abomination before God. What is the answer though? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. James continues in James chapter 4 verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. <coughs> when we are speaking with one another, even if a person, and I know we've talked about this quite a bit, Brother Doug, here in the last few lessons that we've had like on a Wednesday night, and we have talked about offenses, and, and even Brother uh, Sam uh, talked about this over the last few weeks in regards to fellowship and how we fellowship with one another and, and the responsibility that we have in regards to committing offenses one to another. Be careful what you say. That's what it boils down to. Why say the things that we do? Sometimes, well, we can, as I mentioned last week, there, there's a the little saying that says sticks and stones may hurt my bones or break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yes, they will. You know, some of the greatest offenses I think that have taken place within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are when people open their mouths without engaging their brains. Because sometimes we say things to hurt one another and we think somehow that it makes us feel better about the situation. It doesn't make us feel better. And this ninth command that was given in the, in the false witness, well, what, if, what if we are telling lies, seeking to advance ourselves? In other words, there's some people who will lie, just they'll say whatever they want to just to be able to get ahead. It, it, politicians are great at it. 
may it not be named thus though among Christians. We should always have an honest word. We should always speak clearly. You know the problem with telling a lie? After a while you have to tell two. Then you have to tell three and after a while you just can't remember exactly what it was that you said to begin with and you will be caught. It is better to speak the truth at all times remembering that even if nobody else hears you, even if nobody else knows it, the Father does. He knows whether you're telling a lie. And then finally, the tenth command. Thou shalt not covet. And this is a good one for Christmas. When somebody else gets something that you like, oh, and it's just like, oh man, I wish I had one of those. We were, um, I'm going to tie the 10th command into the 7th one here for just a moment. I can remember we were in a church for a short time years ago. And we were at a Christmas party of all things. And the women started talking in the kitchen and then the men were talking and somehow the party, and this was a church party by the way, and the women and the men ended up getting together in the living room. There was a big living room and there was probably 20 or 30 of us sitting around. And somehow the question came up, well, if you could date somebody that wasn't your husband, who would it be? At a church party. My wife ended up leaving the meeting because the things that were being said there, the lust, the desires to covet what you can't have. And one of the women, I remember the one of the women actually saying before we left, uh, you know, does this, if she actually asked the question, she said, would our spouse have to know who the person was and what we did? This last command refers to a desire that covets, delights in, or takes pleasure in what others have to the point that you will do whatever it takes to obtain the object of your desire. Here's the point God's making. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, Paul tells the church at Colossae, he says, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to this young man and he said in chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, do you remember for those of you who are here and because this is going online, but the one brother who came and shared the pictures of what the people in the church were eating or what they had available to them. Do you remember that? It would be hard to live that kind of life and be content when we've got so much here. Only the grace of God can take a situation like that and allow you to live through it, not only for the, by the grace of God, but for the glory of God to be able to get to the other side 
And can you imagine sitting down to a dinner table and thanking God for that? Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That's all we were promised. Food and raiment, everything else is a blessing. Major blessing on top of that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, these brothers and sisters that we pray for on a weekly basis, particularly those who are in persecuted countries, you know, that's what they hang their hats on. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't say that you'll never actually do without food or the kind of food. He says he'll provide. He takes care of the sparrows. Not a blade of grass falls, not a hair on your head falls out without him knowing it. We need to learn that these commands that God has given us, they're there for our learning. Again, 1 John 1, 9 is clear that God will forgive you no matter what sin you may have committed. That's the encouragement this morning. You see, every one of us have broken every one of these commands at some point or another. Because James chapter 2, verse 10 is very clear, and it says this, if you have broken one command, you have broken them all. We've all broken every one of these commands. And the only thing that we can do is to call to him for mercy. The law of Moses doesn't bind the hearts of believers for we are free in Christ, but if we love Christ, we will keep his commands. We will love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then we will truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. I don't know what's in your heart this morning. But we have so much to be thankful for as a people. Not just as Americans, but as Christians. True believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you. I want you to encourage others, not just in your life, but those maybe in church who are with us. I want you to encourage them to be content with what God has given them. Show others that you're content with what God has given you. Again, because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If this time next year we have absolutely nothing, we will still have Jesus Christ. And it'll still be a Christmas worth celebrating. Let's pray. Father, we could have said so much more in regards to the commands. And yet I believe we have said enough for each person here to 
be able to understand what the Holy Spirit would seek to teach us. Here we are in another Christmas season. The seasons come and they go and they go by quicker and quicker as we get older. And one day our life will come to an end here. And I pray that for those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we will not find ourselves standing in eternity with regrets wishing that we would have done the things that we knew we should have done. That like the Apostle Paul who told the Roman believers the good that I'm supposed to be doing, that's not what I'm doing. And the bad things that I'm not supposed to do, that's exactly what I'm doing. Who will deliver us from this flesh? But then the words of encouragement from Romans chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we do not know what the heart status is of every person here today. But I do ask that today would be the day of salvation for any who may not know you as Lord and Savior, who have never confessed their sins, who have never repented, and that they would look to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who laid aside his glory, came down, took upon human flesh, was born in that manger, the Christmas that we celebrate, and then lived a perfect life and then came to the point where he died. Dying for the sins of man so that we might be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this time and this reminder this morning of what you have done for us, of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. May we go from here with great joy in our hearts at what you have done and what you will continue to do as we move into the future, whatever time we may have left. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you came the first time and that you're coming the second. And as we go downstairs for a time of fellowship, May we have a wonderful time for all the food that has been prepared. We ask that you would bless it and that may our fellowship, each conversation, reflect Jesus Christ in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.